1: message of hope for the suffering in church. And because this book is living and active, and Jesus is timeless, hopefully we'll discover the same unchanging hope that Jesus provided for the early church. Now because we're calling this series, Wartime Letters, I want to share my favorite wartime letter story from Max Cato. Some of you have heard this, but you'll see why I like it so much. There was a Kentucky family uh, running a farm. Well, the husband enlisted for service in World War II. So he gets shipped over to the European theater. In the evenings when the battles would subside, um, when they did, then around the campfire foxholes, all the guys would share their letters from home from their wives and sweethearts. So the farmer, Homer, would hear the letters from his buddies. It would be, oh, my darling, I miss you so much, or oh, my sweetheart, Please come home, praying for your safety, or hugs and kisses, all that good stuff. Homer's letters were nothing like this. His wife Nancy were writing all about the farm. Like Homer, you did leave left feed for the chickens, had to go all the way into town to get feed. Or the pen broke and now the pigs are running hog wild. Homer hurried back and fixed this mess. So Homer heard their letters, heard his, he finally decides to write back to his wife. This is what he wrote. He says, Nancy. I've been getting your nagging letters all along. I want you to know I'm sick and tired of them. For the first time in my life, I'm a-fighting in a big war, and I want to enjoy it in peace as long as it lasts. (laughs) You know, guys, as Jesus followers, we are in a war. The Bible calls it spiritual warfare, and we have this formidable foe whose mission is to steal, kill, and destroy us, primarily through stealing our hope in times of suffering. So would you read with me the text here of this early church who suffered? Verse 8, write to the angel of the church in Smyrna, thus says the first and the last, the one who was dead and came back to life. I know your affliction and poverty, but you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they're Jews or are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. Look, the devil's about to throw some of you into prison to test you, and you will experience affliction for 10 days be faithful to the point of death and i will give you the crown of life let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the spirit says to the churches the one who conquers will never be harmed by the second death so it was the best of times it was the worst of times that iconic opening line of charles dickens classic tale of two cities would probably be applied to the church in smyrna now smyrna was a thriving Seacoast city, one of our seven churches, you see it on the map there. Smyrna was the only city of our seven churches that we'll continue to look at that survived to present day. Present day, it's the city of Izmir in eastern Turkey. It's a city, uh, the third largest city in Turkey, almost two million people. Also, Smyrna, the church in Smyrna was one of only two churches of the seven that Jesus never had a word of criticism or rebuke. Also, it was the only church, this letter, targeted believers with these words. Affliction, suffering, poverty, prison, death. Talk about stealing your hope. It's been said you can live about 40 days without food, about three days without water, and about three minutes without air, but not one second without hope. If you were in this church, 90-something A.D., what would your hope level be? A few weeks back, I was involved in a a pileup near Ringgold on I-75. Thank God, just a little damage to me and the car, but it reminded me of the worst accident. I looked it up, the worst accident in Georgia Highway Patrol history. Some of you remember, 2002, down the Ringgold area, 125 cars, four deaths. A few days after that accident, I learned a good friend of mine who's now with J.D. Greer, his daughter, a 19-year-old student at Tennessee Temple, gone. Where's the hope? You know, a few weeks back, uh, Pastor Gus, myself, Vince Corelli, we visited one of our dear friends, a member here, and his wife. He has ALS, Lou Gehrig disease, paralyzed from the neck down. And his wife would sit right here with us. Where is hope? Now, we believe, I do, hope you do, believe that Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals, It's a God's will to heal everyone, deliver them at all times why do bad things happen to good people see these are questions that even the church has but the world surely has that this early church may have had that but tell you what they had and jesus gave them that a theology of hope jot that down a theology of hope so theology you see from the greek word for god theos the word for study Ology, biology, study of life, zoology, study of animals. So, a study of God. I'm telling you guys, this is the study of God, and we need a foundation if we're going to walk through this world, this side of heaven, because we're going to have heartaches, we're going to have struggles. So, in every one of the four letters, Jesus gives a picture of Himself to explain something relevant to that church. So, when I think about pictures, I think about little six-year-old Molly. She was in drawing class and drawing intently. Her teacher noticed Molly was usually inattentive. This time, she's fascinated. She goes over to her desk and she says, Molly, what are you drawing? She says, I'm drawing a picture of God. Teacher goes, well, Molly, you know, nobody knows what God looks like. She goes, they will in a minute. (laughs) Isn't that great? So Jesus gives us a glimpse of him. The first thing he gives us is this. You can jot this down. Jesus is everlasting you see the phrase, thus says the first and the last. There's no one before Jesus. No one will outlast him. He is sovereign control over all. That's the emphasis of this name, is that he is eternal sovereign. Nothing ever gets past Jesus. So you see, this church need to understand this. This was the name uh, actually given to the God of Israel hundreds of years before. Look what Isaiah says he says thus says the lord the king of israel and his redeemer the lord of hosts i am the first and i am the last there is no other god besides me he goes on to say listen to me O family of jacob israel my chosen one i alone am god the first and the last now i love how the writer of hebrews says it he says looking unto jesus the author and the finisher of our faith So you got, see these titles, the first and last, they would remind the suffering church and us today that God, Jesus is the origin, the purpose of all things. That's why we sing these songs that we just sung that we can suffer, but yet we trust in him. Is Jesus your first and last? Is he the author and the finisher of your faith? Well, look at this second thing here. Jesus is resurrected. Not only is he everlasting, he's resurrected. We see the phrase in our text, the one who was dead and has come back to life. Okay, here's the thing this church needed to be reminded. The resurrection of Jesus sets him apart from any little g-gods they may have worshipped. They had statues to Apollo, Zeus, Aphrodite. Today, you may have Buddha or some eternal consciousness. Okay, there's no little g-god that is stands up to Jesus, the God-man who rose from the dead. So they need to see this. Now I want you to see in this picture Jesus gives here, he's setting the stage to talk to this church. This picture, the first and the last, that underlines Jesus' deity, sovereign over all. Now that second phrase, who was dead and came back to life, that highlights his humanity. Now why is that important? The incarnation of Jesus is the, is the foundation of our faith. Because here's the thing. If he was just God, he may seem distant or aloof. they couldn't really relate to our struggles and heartaches. If he was just man, it would have been just another senseless human tragedy of a very good man who couldn't overcome death. But that's not it. He's the God-man who overcame death, and he's telling that church, he's telling you and I, that Jesus is bigger than death. Say it with me. Jesus is bigger than death. So, it's the Apostle Paul, he says it like this. The Apostle Paul suffered greatly, but also was beheaded for his faith. He says, for I'm persuaded that neither death nor life, nor any other created thing, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So, inspired their struggles, their heartaches they were going through, they held tightly to this anchor of hope, their theology here. They were founded in Jesus here, even through the enemies of hope. Jot it down. The enemies of hope that were attacking them. I want to remind you, Jesus has no criticism at all for this church. This is remarkable. So, look here at what they were facing. Affliction, poverty, slander, fear, prison, death. Just a couple of those be, would make the average Christian doubt God. You know, notice so I said average. I don't want to be average. And these were not average Christians because they believed this. Look at that verse there on the outline. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Be faithful. In this letter, he gives two commandments to them. Do not fear and be faithful. Okay, and here lies the crux of how we walk through struggles in life. Circle fear, faith, and suffering in your, in, on your outline. Circle that. We're, that's us suffering. We're in the middle here. We can either go to fear or faith. What this early church learned, what we've got to learn, is that fear is putting your circumstances between you and God. But faith is putting God, the Almighty God, between you and your circumstances. Now, Jesus also wanted them to know that Satan was the ultimate enemy of the believer. The ultimate enemy, is Satan. You can jot that down. He uses the phrase, a synagogue of Satan, and the devil's about to throw some of you into prison, to highlight that their ultimate enemy is not flesh and blood, it was Satan himself. So, Somehow, these precious believers here in Smyrna, they wouldn't be defeated. They held on to their hope. They recognized Satan as this formidable foe, but yet they were probably trusting in another promise written by the apostle John the Revelator. Look at this. He says, greater is he who's in you than he who's in the world. That's the Holy Spirit. If you're a Jesus follower, you have the Holy Spirit in you. So greater is he who's in you than he who's in the world. Probably the most well-known of the Smyrnian church was a man named Polycarp Irenaeus. Church historians tell the story of Polycarp. He was discipled by the Apostle John, the Revelator, and then he later became the pastor of the church. He was known as a very good man. He loved the people, preached the, the Word of God, Jesus, the true God, in the midst of all these false gods in the Roman world there. And he would minister to even people who weren't believers. He bringing food to them it was amazing one day the roman government had enough of this guy preaching this false god so they arrested him tried him and sentenced him to be burned at the stake ad 155 as historians tell us he's at the stake and a roman official who he had polycarp had helped his own family he goes listen pastor please all you gotta do is say hail caesar hail caesar we'll let you go this is what polycarp says Eighty-six years I have served him, and he never did me any wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? Polycarp was truly faithful to death. So as men of this faithful church saw their beloved pastor breathe his last breath, they also knew what he had told them. Paul said that at that last breath, he was absent from the body, present with the Lord. They recognized Satan had probably won a battle, but he would not— win the war because they also knew what the Apostle John said. Look at this verse. The devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and will be tormented day and night forever and ever. I'm going to read that again. The devil who hates you, who's behind all disease and death and sorrow, and deceives you will one day be thrown into the lake of fire and torment day and night forever and ever. Can I get an amen? amen? Yes, glory to God. Listen, for every victim of abuse, no more pain. Satan is defeated. For every fatherless child, God will wrap you in his arms and he will say, as he wipes those tears away, I am your father. Listen, for every person who struggled with the chains of addiction, No more struggles. Satan's defeated for every mom and dad who stood at St. Jude's or any hospital. Lost a child much too soon. Listen, no more sorrow. There's a grand reunion. Together we'll be together with him and Satan is forever defeated. Listen, church, never get over that. At the cross, Satan was defeated. That's where he was sentenced. Now, so you understand this, because we still live in a fallen world, a broken world, we have to deal with that. Jesus told John to write in his gospel and he calls him the prince of this world. So, this Son of heaven, all right, even though Satan's been sentenced, he has limited freedom and he attacks us. So, when Christ returns, even in the midst of suffering, we got to trust him, much like these early believers did. Trust in Jesus' promise of hope. You can jot that down. Jesus' promise of hope. Guys, this letter to them was like a survival guide for the suffering. It was a banner of hope to the broken. It was a promise to the persecuted here. You see, they learned that Jesus, his presence is personal. You jot that down. His presence is personal. Jesus said in there, I know your affliction and poverty. In your outline, circle your makes a point in saying that. I know your. See, these devoted believers knew that Jesus really knew their hurt and their pain. Not just in an omniscient, all-knowing sense, but in an experiential sense. Because they knew the incarnate Lord Jesus had lived and walked and experienced every pain. I love how uh, the writer of Hebrews describes it. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. This church also knew Isaiah's other name for Jesus, man of sorrows. So when you hurt, a lot, a lot of you dads or moms, your child was little, three, four, five-year-old, they get hurt, they run to you, oh, I'm hurting, I'm hurting. You pick them up in your arms, and you go, I know, I know, I know. How many of you have done that? That's Jesus saying to this church. I love how Pastor Chuck Swindoll describes this. Listen to this. Imagine yourself sitting among the gathering of God's people in the Smyrna Church. A small lamp-lit room houses a remnant of beaten and beleaguered church members. The once lively crowd of Christians now displays obvious gaps. Some have fallen away in their persecution. Others are simply gone, arrested, exiled, or executed. Some of you risked your lives this morning to be here to pray, to sing hymns of God, to read from Holy Scripture. All of you are outcasts, desperate for a word of hope from the messenger sitting in your midst. In the dim light, the pastor unrolls a scroll, begins to read with a calm, quiet confidence. Whispering and shuffling in the room ceases when you hear from whom the message comes, the risen Lord Jesus himself. The entire group seems to hold its breath when Christ begins his commendation. I know your affliction and your poverty. But you are rich. Wow, church, listen. Never think that Jesus is not personal, that he's not with you. That person, the Holy Spirit is inside of you. His presence is personal. He, Jesus promised, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So his presence is personal to you, no matter what you're going through. But also his perspective is eternal. You can jot that down. His perspective is eternal. So we need the right perspective. Now, great story and perspective was from back in the day, Coach John McKay, the coach of the USC Trojans, Southern Cal, just played their biggest game of the year against Notre Dame. Notre Dame had just pulverized them 51 to nothing. As NBC Sports recorded the post-locker room speech, it said Coach McKay stepped up on the bench and spoke to his discouraged players. This is what he said. Men, let's keep this in perspective. 800 million Chinese don't even know this game was ever played. That's perspective. So I say to all the beloved Tennessee fans, there's a billion Chinese who don't know Tennessees, not a powerhouse anymore. Let's keep it that way. <laughs> perspective. So when it comes to heartaches and trials and suffering, we need a biblical perspective. Through God's eyes much like David did when he saw Goliath or Goliath came up the Israeli soldiers they're going like whoa he's so big we can't kill him David goes whoa he's so big I can't miss see perspective here my favorite verse on perspective is from that suffering saint the apostle Paul as he said this for our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory so we don't focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So listen, church, what are you focusing on? What's your perspective? I know Vance or Gus and I can tell you, our dear friend Craig and his wife Kelly, their perspective, their focus is not on this world. I'll tell you, we as a church believe in supernatural healing, Jehovah Rapha. We prayed over him, anointed him. I'll tell you, Gus knows, Vince knows, Kelly and and Craig. Their hope is not in this world. Their hope is healing, ultimate healing, eternity. They have Jesus' perspective. See, look at Jesus' perspective here to this church here. You see the seen, the temporary. That's poverty, affliction, death. Pretty bad. Whatever you're in, it looks pretty bad. But look at the unseen, the eternal, rich, just 10 days life. Jesus says, I know your poverty but you are rich. Well, how could he say they're rich? These were destitute people. They gave everything they had to the suffering believers. Well, he's the same Jesus who preached the greatest sermon I ever lived on the Sermon on the Mount and said, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. You see, Jesus was talking about something inwardly, spiritually, eternally. Now, Father, some of you guys may have gotten a grill, or whether you did or not, when you got your grill, you wanted to show it off so a buddy comes over, and he's like, man, I like what you got there. Or maybe you got a Toro Mo Monster. Your neighbor sees that thing like, whoa, man, I like what you got there. I'm jealous, but I like what you got there. See? So here's the thing. Can Jesus look at your heart and say, I like what you got there? That's what he was saying to this early church. He was saying, wow. I like what you got there, good and faithful. He goes on to say, you will experience affliction for 10 days. Now, scholars don't know if it's 10 little days, 10 weeks, months, but what they all agree on is it's a limited time controlled by the sovereign God. So that's Jesus' perspective, much like, remember how we read what Paul said, our momentary light affliction. Now, many of you know my story, raised in inner city Chattanooga. Never knew my father. Mo was an alcoholic. We lived in a little two bedroom apartment with my grandmother and let me tell you that was tough stuff I didn't think of it as light and momentary but through the time as I became a Christian and I would go to church with friends I learned that God was working on me and I learned this incredible truth here it's not on your outline but I learned that many times God delivers us in stuff before he delivers us out of stuff Follow me? Look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. Daniel in the lion's den. So God was working this eternal thing in me, and I didn't understand, but I started learning I could trust him, the mighty God. Now, my favorite story about eternity or illustration is from Francis Chan. Some of you may have seen this. So this rope here, it um, is a 100-foot rope. I want you to imagine it goes on forever. So this represents your life here. This rope is your life. This little red part here, this is your life on earth. Now, we work and strive and pour everything into this right here. You know, to do much as we can, 60, 70, 80 years of this, and maybe we struggle, we hurt. Oh, when's this going to end? How long, God? How long, God? It ends right here, but yet the Word of God tells us that what we do here has a bearing on this for Millions, billions, trillions of years. But yet, we focus on right here. Jesus is trying to tell us there's an eternal perspective. So how long's eternity? Well, I mean, I don't know, but I defer to the renowned theologian Buzz Lightyear, to infinity and beyond. <laughs> See, eternity, we have that. Look at Jesus' perspective on eternity, how he wrote the word. Look at these words he used. Everlasting, forevermore, forever, heaven and eternal. Uh, Over a thousand times, Jesus is saying, guys, I have a great plan for you with me here. Don't forget that. So he knows your suffering. Now, I love how C.S. Lewis, the Chronicles of Narnia guy, describes this. He says this. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our consciences, but he shouts in our pains. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Someone may see you go through heartache or suffering, and that may change their eternity forever. Is it worth it? Eternity is worth it with Jesus. So, now, last two verses of our text, I want you to see this. Be faithful to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. Perspective, death and life. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. I want you to circle death in your outline both times. Same Greek word, the two very different meanings. The first death is physical death. We all must die one day. That is really the doorway to the rest of eternity. The second this is the second death. Uh, what is that? That's eternal separation from God in eternity in darkness and destruction. Horrible, horrible. So John uses the, words, the, the phrase second death only time in scripture, four times, one time here, and then he explains it later. Look at this verse. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Believe me, I don't want any part of that second death. But I don't have to worry about that because I've overcome. You say, well, you're a pastor. It's not about being a pastor. You've overcome. John explains it. Look at this in his letter. He wrote, who is the one who overcomes but one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? If you place your faith in Christ, whether you're a seven-year-old or 17 or 70, You follow Christ, you are an overcomer because Jesus overcame for you on the cross. If you've not experienced that, then you're in danger of that second death. I encourage you, choose Jesus today. So listen guys, these faithful believers here, they really got it. They recognize even in the midst of hardship and heartache, even death, that they could hold to this eternal hope in Christ. So from their beautiful example, hopefully we also can learn to discover that even when it looked like hell is breaking loose, heaven is still crashing in. There was an old hymn written about 300 years ago by Isaac Watts that applied so much to this church, but also to us, to you, if you go through struggles. I want to close with the words of this song. Am I a soldier of the cross, a follower of the Lamb, and shall I fear to own his cause or bless to speak his name? Must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease while others fought to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas? Are there no foes for me to face? Must I not stem the flood? Is this vile world a friend of grace to help me on to God? Sure, I must fight if I would reign. Increase my courage, Lord. I'll bear the toil, endure the pain supported by thy word. So we're all going to suffer, go through heartaches. If you're going through something now, realize that God is personal. He's there. He will be there for you.
0: Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the connect card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a six week sermon series called Jesus in the Midst. John chapter 13 and 14 record Jesus' final words to his disciples in the upper room. They are about to enter the darkest moment in history, and Jesus shares with them the essentials of what they need to walk through them. You know, the things they needed in the midst of their darkest hour are the same things we need in ours. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses or online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. Lastly, There are so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing at Silverdale. We really want you to feel welcome and a part. So please stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on all our different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, we appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.